Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Josh Carter. Uh, usually, Carmen Nazario is here, but she's off this week. We hope she's doing well. We hope to see her here next week. It is 1 p.m. on the West Coast, which means uh, you know we got this amazing founder from the veteran community on our show. And returning this week is a good friend of mine, Matt Lembright founder and CEO of a great uh, company called Enabled for Cybersecurity. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Josh. I appreciate it. It's good to be good to be back, as they say. <laughs> yeah, and, and a lot has happened since you've been here, including you know, a pandemic and, and just a couple other things thrown in just for good measure. Uh, how are you weathering everything? Oh, we're doing okay. We're, it's, um, we are... You know, it's funny, yes. I've I've thought about a lot about that before, and it we're doing good. Um, it's you know, um, it's one of those things you have to take a look back and see what can you control, what can't you control, and and exercise some wisdom to tell the difference between the two. So we're focusing on what we can control, and I think it's going to be helpful for us in the long run. Um, and I'll get in a little bit to, into what what's changed since we last talked, but. Um, I think it all goes back to, you know, being able to really take a look at what's important in your business. And that's something that we're learning every single day. So, yeah. So let's give our listeners some background. Tell us a little bit about, you know, your your military background and what led you to get to starting Enabled. Sure. Absolutely. So, um, so we'll start at the beginning, as they say. Um, I started out my military career at Fort Bragg. I was with a, a unit called the 525th Military Intelligence Brigade, and it changed names a couple times. But long and short is uh, myself and there were three other platoon leaders created um, what were called multifunctional teams. And we were basically, long and short, we were a, a mishmash of different intelligence capabilities that went out and did um, targeted raids and did some uh, exploitation. And I was my area of operations was over in eastern Baghdad, um, so we were plenty busy at that time. Um, and um, so that was that was my deployment experience. When I came back, uh, they decided, you know, I, I had such a good time doing tactical work. I wanted to stay in that that line of work, but they did. The Army deemed it necessary for me to go and start some cyber units. So that's what I did at uh, at Fort Belvoir. I helped stand up the Army Cyber's uh, opposing forces unit there. And then uh, took command up at Fort Meade, uh, and in conjunction with the NSA, helped uh, build out the, the armies and the entire military community's uh, capability called the Cyber Mission Forces. So we, I helped stand up um, three operational teams with that. Um, so that was kind of my military background in a nutshell. Um, but uh, you know, I, just one thing on the deployment, I think, I think a lot of folks that you know. If there, if there are other veterans listening that have been deployed or even not, I think there's a certain entrepreneurial spirit when it comes to veterans. There's obviously the drive, but there's kind of that autonomy when you're deployed and, and kind of, you know, there's there's no right answer when you're over there. There's there's so many variables and you have to kind of take in data as much as you can and make good decisions. So I think that's what a, what a good experience to kind of, 
navigate the uncertainty of entrepreneurship. So, well, we were kind of joking a little bit before uh, we went live about the certain this this pandemic right now and the parallels between what you have to do when you're forward deployed, especially you know in the army and the marines when you're deployed in a in a war zone like Afghanistan and Iraq, you kind of have to do shelter in place. So this is like you you've been trained for this. Right. Yeah. No. It's it's. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I've been, I was joking with my wife and my my parents about how you know over there you, you can't really we so where we were at we couldn't really go out and go outside. So I was like, oh, I guess yeah. I'm been, been training a little bit for this. But um, yeah, it's um, it was you know I I thought about this too was that you know when we we were a brand new unit when we deployed over to Iraq so we were. I say brand new. I mean, we were the concept had been done before in the special operations community, but we were the first group of uh, conventional soldiers to try it out. And but we were kind of square peg round hole a little bit. We would get farmed out to different. You know, we were working with 82nd, and they didn't know who we were. And we kind of, I really had to sell the concept to of, of what we were. So in, in a sense, we were like a startup. Um, really, kind of, I'd have to sell the, you know, where are your pain points? What how do you guys operate now? What, what additional value do we provide? Um, and, um, you know, not only that, but, uh, I don't want to go off on a huge tangent on it, but when we were over there too, there was something called the Sauter city wall build. And, um, at that point, you know, our job was to go out and find bad guys. Well, during that time period, they were coming out of the woodwork and finding us. So our job, <laughs> we were kind of marginalized to some extent, but, um, mm-hmm. it was a good opportunity for us to look inward and say, Okay, well, you know, we can't control the operational environment, but you know, this is a good chance for us to take a look inside and say, what what are we doing well? What aren't we doing well? And let's improve where we can, um, so that when you know the the situation that's beyond our control improves to where we, we're more operable, uh, how can we take advantage of that um, and be ready and, and be even even better prepared than we were before? So, yeah, and and in those in when you're talking about you know, selling your services to other stakeholders within the army, like that wasn't normal operating procedure. I mean, I, I was in the Navy 94 to 97. And back then that certainly wasn't the the mindset of the military. What do you think changed? What do you think has happened since then? That is, that is enabling this mind, this change in the mindset of the military uh, to really think about, using technology to the betterment of the different branches because we see different branches taking on innovative things right like air force has the afworks army now has futures command which is focused on innovation and the navy has their own each branch seems to be sort of you know uh using the air force's model as a benchmark but what do you think has changed in that over time to get to the point where these military branches are looking at innovation as a way to make themselves better and battle ready? That's a great question. Um, and the really dumb answer to that is what, what's changed is change. <laughs> um, and what I mean by that, I think, is uh, really more so the battlefield. Like there's, you know, I think the interesting thing, right, was when we, when, when Iraq and Afghanistan, all that stuff kicked off, uh, you know, global war on terrorism, you know, per se, you know, you saw, I mean, just look at the equipment. I think that's a really good indicator, right? Where, yeah. or even the camouflage patterns, right? And you start to look at the equipment and the camouflage patterns, and you see like little tweaks over time where like the magazine pouches change and, 
you start to get the addition of the the, the you know the the medical pack changes the they call it the IFAC the individual I don't I can't remember what the acronym stands for but the point is is that over time you know you pull from the special operations community and it starts to gel and now if you look at guys that get the guys and gals get that get deployed their kit looks almost all the same it's all tricked out it's all you know tactically you know organized exactly the way the special operations community does and it's like this evolution over time. And it's the adaptation to the battlefield, right? And I think, you know, you've, you've asked what changed. I think the fight has changed itself. The battlefield has changed, you know, where, you know, there used to be front lines, uh, you know, in World War II, um, you know, over the course of Vietnam, the whole war on terrorism, you know, asymmetric warfare became a thing. And now, as we, you know, charge into the 21st century, you know, that battle is increasingly finding its way into cyberspace, into the virtual data world where, um, you know, we're increasingly putting more value uh, on the servers uh, and communicating that over the internet. And so therefore, you know, where the value goes, the fight will go too. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think, I really believe that as we're seeing threats go online, we also have to adapt. And so that's what's happening today. Uh, and I think that's what you're seeing as, as, uh, as, Branches are putting more importance on the, on defending that piece of it. But to your point, I think more and more people at the top level are churning out and bringing in fresh ideas and fresh faces, like the uh, secretary of the Air Force, I forgot her name, but she is she's an advocate for using technology. And and I think more you're seeing more of that permit, uh, penetrate the higher ranks of the different branches. And as that happens, more people are looking at, well, if it worked for that branch, Perhaps it can work for us. And so there's more experimentation happening when, say, like 10, 15, 20 years ago, when I was in the military, it was just, you know, very, there was a very linear line of, of this is what your job was. And, and that's what you're going to do. You might have big ideas, but don't bring them to the military because that's not what we're about. Um, so it's really interesting. Um, so, so what do you see as the challenge right now? You know, now, you know, as we mentioned at the beginning of the, of the show, a lot has changed. How has that changed your operating mindset for Enabled and some of the other? You, you have this new thing you're you're working on now. You want to talk a little bit about that? The um, uh, CybermarketDC.com. Yeah, absolutely. And just real quick to your point, I think this is an interesting point that you bring up too. Kind of that is, you know, you look at when you know warfare started to in, incorporate air right into into another you know another form of the battlefield, right? This, this geospatial uh, domain called airspace, right? And you know, start off with weather balloons, and then it's like, well, maybe we can drop bombs, and then maybe we can do reconnaissance. And, and, and you see this evolution over time. And I think the interesting thing about, you know, talking about technology, I think we're specifically talking about information technology, is that I think the innovation has always occurred. I think it's just the speed at which it occurs now is is exponential right in in line with the yeah. the ability that technology proceeds so uh i won't go into moore's law but i think that's just i think you brought up an interesting parallel there um and yeah so in terms of kind of what what that's meant for us so um you know the dod i'll kind of get into the impetus for our change uh so a real quick elevator pitch up front of what cybermarketdc.com is I liken it to like an Angie's list of uh, cybersecurity providers. So when you think of companies that 
know, I need someone to come in and, and help me out with some sort of data protection service, whether it's installing antivirus or helping me build a program or getting compliant with a requirement or, you know, protecting my email. And a lot of companies that are smaller, medium-sized, um, or even if they're larger, sometimes they don't have that um, expertise in-house and they need to help have someone hired and, and bring them in to tackle that. And that's where we come in because that process can be can be arduous. You know, you're you're searching through Google web pages and you don't know exactly what you're looking for. We put all those folks in one place to make that shopping experience easier, so to say. And um, you talk about kind of what's changed that kind of caused that is, you know, we we want to applaud the Department of Defense and Katie Arrington that's come out with what's called this CMMC requirement of the Cybersecurity Maturity Model uh, Certification. But long and short is all uh, Department of Defense government contractors are going to have to get certified at a, at a minimum level of cybersecurity in order to win contracts, do business with the DOD. Uh, this is kind of born out of the that third-party risk consideration that uh, I think is really highlighted when when Lockheed Martin was was hacked, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The F-35, the planes of the F-35 were stolen, and um, I think kind of tying into our previous point about um, this, you know, especially like in the Air Force, I think all branches, right? This adaptation and and um, incorporation of technology into uh, the warfighting domain. Um, again, I think. They're starting. It's it's no longer IT and and, and data uh, are no longer kind of an afterthought. They are becoming the main operational um, you know network and the main operational focus of what enables us to to go do the operations that you know protect America. And I think as the reliance and the criticality have become more apparent, um, those the surrounding importance of making sure that. You know, we're as buttoned up as possible, and where we have third-party risk, we can eliminate that. That's, you know, that was the impetus of CMMC. So we're happy to see that, and we saw a really good opportunity for us to kind of come in and say, hey, you know, when these folks are going to be when these contractors are going to be looking for help to remediate their different gaps and things like that. Let's. This is we're already in a short timetable. Not to mention COVID, and you know, we can't. There's not going to be any conferences to go to, and everybody's doing everything online. We're hoping to make that process as simple and as quick as possible. So we're we're excited to help out with that process. So. And and what do you think you've been able to learn so far based on you know some of the metrics that you've been able to gather that is showing that what you're doing is working and and you're able to grow your business during this crisis? That's a good question. Um, I would say uh, one you know one thing that you know we we're kind of talking about. You know how you adapt when when the environment changes and there's not much you can do to to affect that. Um, and you know, one one thing I wanted to talk about today was um, you know when you get when when folks are getting started in entrepreneurship, it's there is this. It's easy easy to get overwhelmed. There's an overload of resources out there. And they're all coming from different angles. Some are coming from a very good place, um, but it's it's hard to navigate all of those different resources and what to use when. Because you know, when I was in command, you know, I if you've ever been in command or you've ever been in the military, I mean, you always have more responsibilities than you have time to accommodate for. So there's always going to be priorities that you have to set, right? And the mission mm-hmm. is what always is supposed to take priority, but 
you know, it doesn't mean that the person that's trying to help you out with, let's say, retention or compliance or whatever the case is, they're going to bug you because they want to get their their task jo- done. And so it's very similar in the startup community where you're an entrepreneur, you start off and you get someone that's interested in marketing or someone that's interested in in uh, admin or HR. And, and they're all trying to, you know, tell you, hey, here's some good free resources or try out our product or you need to make sure that your SEO, search engine optimization is ready. And um, I've I routinely get distracted with all that stuff. And it's times like these where we take a look inward and say, that stuff's great, but they're force multipliers. That's that's what we use when we've got our core functionality down to a science and and when we have our business model working succinctly, right? Um, because you have mm-hmm. to, it's kind of like when you have a unit, right? You, you're not going to go out and, and, and do some, you know, helicopter insertion and, and all that other stuff if you don't have the basics of, of movement and weapons handling and communications down. You have to have the basics down first. And so that's what we've been focusing on here. Um, and what we've really been uh, hammering is awareness, is that this CMMC requirement is a brand new uh, requirement. It's not even, shucks, it's not even, it's finalized yet. It's it's in the it's in the, the the model itself is done, but the requirements haven't been solidified yet. The certification process, so it's all so. There's a lot of awareness and education that needs to occur, and so we're kind of sitting back and saying, "Man, we're not getting all the, you know, the the website hits that we want to get. We're not we're not getting a bunch of you know uh, folks coming to us for help. Well, how do we? As so we took a real step back and said, "Well, who are all the people that are already engaging?" who our clients are going to be. Let's talk to those folks. And we started to talk to the lawyers and the folks that help out with government procurement and, and proposal writing. And, and a lot of them don't even know about it. So uh, we try to think at where can we have the most impact? Um, and at the end of the day, we took a look at, you know, again, you can get very overwhelmed when it comes to startup world, but at the end of the day, it's a business. You have input and you have output. What do you put into the business and what do you get out of it? And your output has to be greater than your input or else your business is going to fail. It's just, that's the way to simple, simple computing, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's what we took a look at is that we say, well, shoot, we don't have enough input. We need more people coming to the site. We need more engagement. We need to be in more feasible spaces, educating. Even if they're not ready right now, they know who we are. They, we have some brand awareness. And that's what we've been really hammering um, is just getting our name out there, doing the webinars, doing the education piece, and helping folks understand uh, the requirements that CMMC will uh, that will be coming down the pike and, and helping them prepare for that the best that we can. So that way, when the time comes, they, they know where to go. So that's been our, that's been kind of our, our revelation within the past few months. So. And what are you using to get the word out? Because as you said, this is new. This CMC is, is new. What what is it? What are some of the channels that you're using? Since you can't do, you know, on-premise events, how are you getting around that? What what kind of tools are you using to build out awareness of of this new program or this new sure. No, good. That's yeah, a great question, um, and it's another group, really good example of being overwhelmed, right? Because social media platform. I mean, it, when you when you think about how am I going to, uh, you know, kind of go to market? How am I going to to spread my brand awareness and what or what our mission is when I can't actually physically travel around. Well, you know, social media is kind of the first the first turning point. And right there, 
you've got, let's see, what a good, good five different options that can be overwhelming. You've got your LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, you know, the list goes on. And that was another one where we started off and we said, well, we've, you know, we've got all the accounts set up. And we quickly kind of said, well, number one, each audience is different. Uh, and number two, it's just over. We can't, I don't have time. We don't have time to go to Facebook and, and build unique content for each platform and re-engage. So it, that's when we took a look and said, well, you know, these are going to be business owners. These are a lot of these, you know, Twitter a lot of times is definitely for the tech community, but it's for the kind of the startup tech community on the West coast to some extent. And it's, you know, product-based more so than service-based really. Um, and it's very short, uh, short engagements, quick snippets, that kind of thing. LinkedIn is is where the professionals go to learn about new trending topics, uh, especially when it's kind of the, I hate to say it, but the drier material like like compliance, uh, it's, it's not going to get that following on Twitter like it is gonna, going to on LinkedIn. So we've been focusing heavily on LinkedIn um, and our kind of our primary method of engagement uh, is really just is um is correlation right and what i mean by mm-hmm. that is we take news stories about a breach a cyber breach that happened um I'm trying to think of a recent example uh, hospitals is a good one right now with ransomware and the whole covid covid issue it's, it's cyber attackers are targeting hospitals for very obvious reasons so but we take that and tie that and how that maps in with the, the CMMC framework so that mm-hmm. folks can cut, start to understand, okay, this is how this compliance mechanism matches up directly with real-world threats. Um, so we've been focusing on that, but then we've also been doing uh, doing a lot of webinars, We've been do- and we use our newsletter, which, you know, for folks that are out there that are in entrepreneurship land, they're getting started, and they're kind of wondering where to go, it's... I don't understand it completely, but email for some reason is the easiest. I'm gonna say it's the easiest, but it's the most engaging uh, because it's it's right there in front of someone's face. Um, it's not a it's not a, as scrollable as, as social media can be. It's not as as much overlooked. Um, and I think the key for us has always been, um, especially with our newsletter, but it's provide direct value in every piece of content that we push out. Um, because at the end of the day, if someone can't use what we provide, if it's just, hey, look at how great we are, and nobody cares. I mean, they just don't. <laughs> They've got mm-hmm. their own problems to worry about, and they want to know how you can solve their problems. So that's really what we've been focusing on is, is what do our what does our audience care about? Where are their pain points, and how can we make their lives a little bit easier? Uh, and that's been our, our main focus. So. Newsletter has been big. LinkedIn has been big for us. And the webinar is increasingly uh, engaging because, again, I think the other touch point for us that we've we've learned is that, you know, it's writing a long article uh, for someone that you say, hey, you need to care about cybersecurity. And I know it's not your most favorite thing in the world, but here's this really long article I want you to read on it. You're probably not going to read it. Uh, If it's a 30 second video or if it's a two minute video that explains one distinct topic. Uh, that's a that's a that's an easier answer. So uh, we it's just a learning process. We've made a lot of mistakes, and uh, that's kind of the way we've gone over time. So yeah, yeah. If you're just joining us, we're talking to Matt Lembright from Enable. He also helps run CybermarketDC.com. Or you take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back just as soon as we can. CPA dudes, where accounting is never boring. 
Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio. Today's episode of The Veteran Startups is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. For instance, media relations. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this, press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Carmen and Josh sent you. And we're back. If you, you are just joining us, we've been talking to Matt Lembright. He's the CEO of Enabled and also started CybermarketDC.com. Uh, we're on the Veteran Founder Podcast, if you're lost. But let's dig back into it, Matt. Uh, I really want to understand a little bit about, you know, we talked a little bit about how your business has changed, but you know, we're in this really weird time. It's, it's everybody's home, unless you're in Georgia and Florida and getting your hair cut. And everybody's really trying to figure out what this new dynamic is going to look like once we can all get out and go back to whatever normal is going to look like. What do you think that's going to be for Enabled? What do you think that new normal is going to be? And how are you adapting to it? Interesting question. Um, the new normal for us, um, I think, is one thing I will say. Um, and this might not be exactly the answer to your question, but um, I think something that there's a book called by Pete Blaber. He's a former Delta operator that uh, my actually both my battalion and my and my company commanders gave me when I um, I think it was actually when I got back from Iraq. But anyways, um, long and short is there is a chapter in the book that's called um, uh, developing the situation. I believe is what he called it. Uh, the idea basically being that in order to make a decision um, on, the, on, on something that you're, you're working on, you have to have enough data to inform. And it's, it's different for every person. Some people don't need a lot of data. Some people need too much data. And so they, it takes them longer to make decisions. But, you know, a lot of folks say, well, I'm, I'm indecisive because, you know, I don't know what to do. It's, a lot of times it's just because of a lack of data. And that's identifying that need is then, you know, it's kind of part of the, the the first step to answering that problem. So you can start to say, okay, well, what data am I, am I lacking that will help me make that decision? So that's kind of the idea of developing the situations that you're not going to be able to, you know, don't expect yourself to be able to make the right decision right off the bat. Sometimes you need to let the situation develop itself, watch the data come in a little bit, see where the trend is going in terms of what's evolving and then when you feel that you've you've had enough data come in and you've had enough time to analyze it, you'll know kind of which way to go. The, you know, the balance, I think the art form in that is is the, the tipping point is you know, the quicker you can make a decision based off of, of less data and more accurately, you know, the, the quicker you'll be able to move in the right direction. Um, so that's kind of the <laughs> that's the, the simple answer, but the, the hard problem to solve. Um, and in terms of what that means for us. Um, you know, like I mentioned before, CMMC, uh, which is kind of what we're using to really kind of drive our business and, and 
focus in and help folks solve that problem by providing those resources to them, um, whether that be a company to do come in and do an assessment or to help somebody remediate gaps that they have in order to gain their certification. Um, there's a lot of a lot of um, framework that has to be built around CMMC, and it's just not there yet. Um, and nobody knows exactly what's going to look like, but we know that what resources are going to be leveraged eventually. So I think patience is one thing that we're definitely taking a look at. Well, we know that we don't have to jump right into any specific um, any specific use case right off the bat. Uh, we can observe kind of what this ecosystem evolves into and, you know, find the niches that we'll, we'll soon develop uh, as the process uh, evolves. But more so kind of to your question, um, I think, you know, before where um, online presence and leveraging social media uh, and kind of the virtual world in terms of go-to-market, um, you know, there was there were so many options that it became confusing. We've we've been able to narrow down what's been helpful for us, and um, I think we've learned a lot from what's good virtually. But as time goes on, we can start to use what we've developed in the virtual world when it comes to webinars and panels and and content, and we can extrapolate that into the physical world. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, we've done a, a virtual training for what we'll, what we'll end up enacting in the, in the physical world in the near future. Um, and I think the other, I think the last piece that I think that we've really learned and what this means for us in the future too is that, you know, we started CybermarketDC.com. You know, the last part is DC, right? So we're we're based in the DC area. We're in Alexandria, Virginia, um, but. Over this period, you know, it's caused everybody, <laughs> we're not going even into D.C. these days. So um, we started to realize that as we've looked uh, more digitally, um, so has everyone else. So have all the contractors. And so where folks that need cybersecurity help previously said, hey, I need someone to come in and take a look at my laptop. Those people have been increasingly telling us, hey, you know what? Remote work is fine. If someone needs to, needs to log onto my laptop and do it securely or, or do um, whatever cybersecurity work that needs to be done from a remote perspective, they're more comfortable with that. And so that's caused us to change our focus, too, to say, well, yes, we were focused in the D.C. area. We still are because we're in the D.C. area. We're focused there, but we're not limiting ourselves to that. We are looking more nationally now and have been engaging with folks on the West Coast, in the, in the Midwest, uh, and even in the South, because I think the interesting thing that this has highlighted is that, um, you know, government contractors are everywhere. Cybersecurity experts aren't always everywhere. And so the more that we can close that gap from a, a remote digital perspective, um, you know, the greater advantage that those, you know, that those companies that might be in a rural spot in America will have access to cybersecurity help. So that's what we're really looking forward to, to enabling. So. so let's talk a little bit more broadly. You know, uh, as everybody's moving to things like Zoom and we saw the recent you know, drama around Zoom and they're, uh, you know, uh, just not being ready for the security issues that they've been having. More broadly, what do you think companies need to look at now sort of seeing Zoom as the template? Uh, what do you think they need to be paying more attention to as we get into this more remote world? I mean, we're seeing other companies really adapt to this. Things like, you know, mathnasiums used to be in strip malls everywhere. Now they can't go to the strip mall, so they're moving to a remote 
sort of platform, and we're seeing that over and over again. What do you think companies need to look at more closely as we start to build into this more remote ecosystem as a as a society? Great. I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, and I think you kind of hit on it when you introduced the topic as, as broadly, um, and even in the sense of what should companies look at. Companies should look broadly. That's exactly what they should do. And I think this is an, this is such a great topic right now because um, this is actually kind of the first part of our of our three small steps to for any small business to improve their cybersecurity is you know you can't protect what you don't know about. Um, and I think that's that's the step that a lot of companies can really do right now is take digital inventory of the assets. And that takes the form of, a, of basically three types of assets. You've got devices, which is obviously what we interact with, your phones, your laptops, et cetera, um, the networks that you use to access the internet, and then the accounts that you open up to you know, use your email to, to basically someone else's computer that you're logging into is what it ends up being. But Facebook account, doesn't matter what it is, um, but it's a remote account that you use to create, store, process, and transmit data. Um, and the reason I say this is such a timely topic is because now we're forced to use only, you know, for the most part, digital assets. So when we're using something like Zoom, um, and that's, let's say, our company relies solely on Zoom, um, and we communicate every, let's say, day uh, to have status updates, uh, or let's say, you know, you know, somebody does Zoom bomb, or let's say even worse, you know, they, they're able to use the, the vulnerabilities in the code to you know, take, take control of one of our, our company's computers. Well, now you've understood the criticality that Zoom plays or, or that video messaging plays um, in your company. And so uh, when I talk to companies about how to get started, I say, take inventory of everything that you have. And then you can start to look at well, what operations are critical to my company and how do we rely on digital assets to accomplish those? And this is a, like I said, this is a, just a good opportunity because it's such in, in in no uncertain terms, it causes it causes you to highlight uh, the criticality of those systems, and say, well, we can do this, but we can't live without this. We can't live without email, right? And so, right there, now you've prioritized what to protect, and then you can get into the specifics of, well, how do I protect my email? That's where calling in the professionals comes into play, right? Um, mm-hmm. There's some things that you can do, and we're always we always put out you know useful tips and information and stuff like that. But it's you really kind of want to have a good understanding of what your footprint is because even before you call an expert in, you want to know uh, where your priorities are from a business standpoint, where your where your company makes money and how your company makes money, um, and that's where you know this is a good opportunity to take a step back uh, and, and inventory those things. What do you think? Uh, you know, it's, and that's great. I think a lot of larger companies are are probably starting to do that if they haven't already. But for for smaller startups, say they're a team of two to ten, what kind of things can they be doing now as they are growing that could help mitigate the risk of losing data or or being you know uh, a victim of virtual or digital espionage? What are some of the things that they could be doing today? That help them uh, as they're growing. Sure, good, great question. Um, and you know, I think this is a problem in cybersecurity. I think I actually talked about this on the last time I was on the podcast. But cybersecurity as an industry has been product focused for a long, very long time. 
this because that's where the money ends up being, right? And so the message that a lot of folks end up hearing is that, well, you have to buy this or this protects you against all the things and whatever the case is. What you have to realize, though, is that your digital assets come with security controls. Sometimes they're adequate, sometimes they're not, and that's where some of those other other cybersecurity products come in. But for startups that have limited resources, they have limited not only do they have limited physical resources, but they have limited human resources. You know, they're not going to be able to hire and spend all that money. Um, and what's really important, especially for startups that know that they want to scale, building in those basic cyber hygiene practices are is so important right now. Because if you have good practices, if you have the right mindset, now, if you have the understanding that, Yes, you know, we, we need to be able to move quickly and, and break things and all that stuff, but we also need to do it while we minimize our risk profile as well. Um, if you can do, inculcate that that mentality right now, um, that's going to be critical as you go on. And so that's where, you know, again, understanding what assets you use that are critical. Um, let's, you know, using your instance uh, of, of the two to three people uh, or two to ten people, let's say. You know, Slack is a really good, uh, you know, a really good example where that's a team collaboration tool that a lot of people have to use, and that's where you transfer a lot of information. Well, Slack has built-in security controls, right? You have a password that you have to use, um, and you have two-factor authentication. That's a, that's an option. Um, if a company says, "Well, what do I need to do extra when it comes to cybersecurity?" Making sure that you've done the basics first is 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 the foundation that you need to start with. So making sure that all of your users have unique passwords. Uh, in other words, it's not used for any other account. Making sure that they're good passwords that are longer than, let's say, eight characters. Uh, and making sure that two-factor authentication is enabled on all of those uh, digital accounts that are, are are not local that you're you're using in the cloud. Um, that's that's where a lot of attackers are going to go because it's easiest to access. And that's those are easy wins. Those are very small things that any company can do that will significantly reduce their risk. So, um, again, passwords, two-factor authentication, using those security controls that are within your reach right now and enabling them and making sure you're keeping track of that, building that those good cyber hygiene practices right now will set you up for success later because you know as you grow your business, as you add assets and capabilities, you know you're going to have to periodically return to those practices and say, okay, how are we doing that as we grow? Um, so, yeah, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's kind of one of those things where, just like everything, it's a, it's a, it's just got to be part of the culture from the beginning, right? It's hard to implement something. Say you grow your business from two people to a hundred people. Trying to implement things into your business after you've grown that far, and then suddenly you're like, okay, we're going to put this in place as a culture, as an emphasis, as a value, it's far harder if you try to do it later versus if you try to do it at the onset. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, and you know, baking in security, right? And I think that's it has a it has a home in software development, right? When you're when you're creating software, um, knowing that nobody's going to create, nobody's going to code perfectly. I don't think it's ever happened in the, in the history of computers, <laughs> and I don't think it ever would. I don't think it ever will, but understanding that, you know, there are mechanisms to check your work code reviews, dynamic code reviews, static code reviews, and understanding that's part of the process versus something you try to bolt on later. Um, and, you know, the other thing I wanted to say, too, was I think two great kind of things to carry over from the military are one is redundancy. Right. And again, kind of going back to our current situation, is it's a good highlight. 
Um, and this is where, you know, I tell, especially small businesses, they get wrapped up, you know, they hear all these different threats. Well, how do I protect against this threat or that threat? I say, don't worry about that. Worry about doing the basics because when you do things like backing up your data, right, you're building redundancy and it protects against a multitude of bad things happening, whether it's dropping your laptop in water or if, you know, hackers gain control and are able to, to issue ransomware to multiple computers and you lose your data. You have it backed up to the cloud somewhere or some other redundant place. Having a backup, you know, two is, was it two is one and, or three is two and two is one or one is none or whatever. You get the yeah. idea, but the point yeah, is yeah. that you want to make you have duplicates. Um, and then the other part is, you know, in the military, we always had the, you know, you had the PACE plan, the primary alternate contingency and emergency communications plans, where if this band of communication goes down, how else will we communicate? And that's where knowing, you know, what you have and how to leverage it becomes so important. So. Yeah, you know, and I think part of, part of that is, you know, it changes the leverage. The more you do to protect yourself, when that ransomware comes knocking at your door, you, you have the leverage. So there's no value there anymore, right? So I think that's it's a really important point you bring up. What do you think the future is for uh, cybersecurity as an industry? Is it is it just going to become uh, you know more complex? Are we going into is it sort of the wild west where more tools are being developed to make it easier to implement? Like, what, where do you think this is going to go in the next five to ten years? It's a really good question. Um... And, you know, well, the first thing I'll say is I'm probably going to be wrong. So it's <laughs> <laughs> probably going to be wrong in some regards. But the one thing I've been seeing a trend of is, what's the right word I want to use? Um, well, you've seen, what I've seen is, you know, IT companies, you know, traditionally IT companies. And when I say that, right, you say, okay, well, what's an IT company these days? What does that mean? Well, um, you know, who are the folks that that manage and administer all of your different accounts and computers and keep track of all that, make sure everything's up and running, who does the help desk work, right? It's kind of what you think of as in, in terms of traditional IT work. Um, and companies that, you know, a lot of folks, a lot of small companies will outsource to those to those folks. You know, maybe not a startup that's two to 10 folks, and, you know, they're, they're going to handle that internally. But you start to get to a point where you can't manage that without either hiring someone internally or, or externally outsourcing it. You know, you use one of these IT companies that helps out with that kind of work. Um, they have they have traditionally been focused on the operational side of it, you know, making sure everything runs, making sure people communi can communicate. They haven't been as focused on the security side of things where they're, you know, protecting against threats or restricting access to some extent. There's always there's a mix of different flavors of, of the types of companies and what they do. But the point that I'm making is is that they are now starting to adopt cybersecurity practices. Well, you know, we've added these different practices. Um, additionally, cybersecurity companies are, are kind of taking well, we're also doing some operational work too. And since we have a security mindset, you know, the way that we do operations will be even more secure. So I think what we're gonna see is kind of almost a, a homogenization of practices where you're going to see more more of those services merging into kind of one-stop shops where you can go to one company, they're going to do all those things. It'll be more of an a la carte thing. And I think along with that is, you know, less of, you know, the client companies um, directly buying or implementing cybersecurity-related products like, you know, your behavioral analytics um anomaly detection type stuff, kind of the, the threat hunting capabilities, 
those things that um, are, are highly technical uh, and usually highly expensive, I think those will become more uh, as a service. I think we're already seeing that already, but I think that will become more of a, as, as it, right now it's kind of very boutique where a lot of people don't know what a lot of those different technologies are. I think that will be basically become incorporated and part of the package of those kind of homogenous one-stop IT slash cybersecurity shops where, you know, the, the clients that are going to, they might never even have any understanding of what that technology actually is. Uh, it'll just be part of the package that they end up purchasing. So mm. I think as time goes on, it's just going to be, you know, there's going to be more, um, I think it's a good thing. There's going to be more cooperation and people will start to, people won't see um, cybersecurity as something separate from IT because really they aren't separate. Um, yeah. They're different practices and responsibilities, but they have to work in concert with one another in order to be effective. Because, you know, if you treat, you know, a lot of folks have always, you know, they say, oh, well, we're doing cloud migration and that's an IT function. And sure, ab absolutely. But the whole per point of a cloud migration is you want to protect that data. You want to have it somewhere that's reliable and you don't have to worry about it and it's redundant, right? Those are security functions. You're reducing risk. Um, and so I think it, it's been evolving over time. I think eventually you're not going to be able to tell the difference between quote unquote cybersecurity and IT. I think it'll just be it'll just be one service of, of data availability and protection that you'll start to see. And I'm excited for it because it's um, you know they have to work together anyways. There's a lot of integrations that need to happen, and the, and the easier it is for folks to to plug in and get the protection, redundancy, and operability they need the you know, the, the safer everyone will be in the, the less risk we'll all face. So. Yeah, I love it. Uh, we've been talking to Matt Lembright. He is the uh, CEO and founder of Enabled and also CybermarketDC.com. Matt, other than CybermarketDC.com, where can people find you? Sure. Uh, so we're on LinkedIn. So just, you know, punch in CybermarketDC.com. I think it's LinkedIn slash company slash CyberMarketDC, I think is what it is. Uh, we're on Twitter at CyberMarketDC. Uh, obviously, you can see a common thread here. Uh, also, we, you know, our company is, just so everybody understands too, our company is enabled, our brand, if you will, our website is CyberMarketDC.com. If you go to Enabled Security, E-N-A-B-L-D, security.com, there's some other good resources there. We're in the process of merging that together. But, um, you know, I, I just want everybody to know, too, that we have a resources page on CyberMarketDC.com. We have a lot of engaging stuff. So even if you say, hey, listen, you know, I'm not ready to hire anybody or do that. We, our goal is to put the information that we know is available out there, readily referenceable, so that you can protect what you do have, even if it's just your family or your home. So um, please engage with that. We have a newsletter, too. Uh, I mentioned that before, email newsletters to engage folks. We push that out. You could sign up for that at um, cybermarketdc.com slash newsletter. Um, it's a it's a great resource. And you know, ask us questions if you have um, specific. You know, hey, I don't how how you know how trustworthy is Zoom? You know, the more that we can answer specific questions, um, the more value that we can we know we're directly providing. Because uh, you know, it's I think one of the things that we're trying to fix that I've, the problem that I've seen in the cybersecurity community is there's a lot of telling, right, of what of what to do and what not to do. And I don't yeah. think there's been enough listening about what people value. And that's what we want to do is, is hear, hear what people's concerns are, hear what they, hear, hear about what they value and help them protect that. So. 
Well, I'll tell you what, Matt, it's been incredible to watch your journey from those days at Patriot Boot Camp all the way to here. And uh, I'm really excited to see what's in store for you and, and where you go from here. But it's been, you know, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Always a pleasure to, to hear how you're doing and uh, love hearing all about it. So, Matt, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate you, sir. Thank you, Josh. Thanks. It's always it's always good to talk to you, man. It's 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 been too long, and I'm glad I'm glad uh, we were able to make this happen. Um, I think you know it's I, I've you know seen the commercials, and it's you know it sounds hokey, but you know the the more separated we are, I think the more the more together that we're we're finding ways to connect with each other. So I'm um, I'm always glad to connect with you, man. It's it's um, I appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk in your show. Hopefully, folks find it valuable, uh, and yeah. hopefully they can you know my goal is to to make the mistakes and have others learn from them so that they don't have to make the same mistakes themselves. But uh, I think one thing I wanted to say that I've written down before this is that, you know, I've, I think like anybody, right. You're everybody's afraid of failure. Nobody wants to look bad. And yeah, what I learned is you're going to screw up and nobody cares. <laughs> the only person <laughs> that cares is you. So, true. um, I've, you, you know, throw your, uh, throw your pride out the window, embrace humility, uh, and, uh, it's just, uh, it's, it's a journey and you're going to get punched in the face. Just get up and keep walking. So I love it. Stay safe, brother. Thanks too, everybody. Man. I really, yeah, thanks. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for listening, everybody. You've been listening to the veteran founder podcast. Tune in every Friday at 1 PM. Listen, learn, get shit done. We'll see you next week. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby receptionists at Ruby. They've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships Their team of remote receptionists answer all of your calls live as if they're right there in your office. Together, you and Ruby transform your phone into the sales engine it was meant to be. Start setting your business apart today. Visit callruby.com forward slash startup radio to sign up or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code StartupRuby. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.